Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. My guest today is Chief Investment Officer and Senior Portfolio Manager, Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. How are you, Dan? Doing great, Chris. Thanks. So, um, Chris, this week, uh, the Fed comments uh, once again altered the U.S. equity market by suggesting uh, rates could be cut. Um, how did you interpret Chairman Powell's release? Yeah, I guess, you know, in, in some respects, it's been consistent with what we've heard from the other federal governors uh, for the last couple of months. But I do think there's more nuances to it, and the market does as well. We wouldn't be up, you know, close to 3.5% for the week if they weren't reading uh, more into his comments than just simple rate cuts. And I think what's critical is he did acknowledge that quantitative easing is no longer an unconventional policy tool. It is a policy tool that will be used in the future. And more importantly, it'll be uh, considered one of the traditional tools to use. And I think it, it, the market is taking uh, some comfort in the fact that the Fed is acknowledging that because not only are they acknowledging the limits of their traditional policy tools, but they're also acknowledging, hopefully, that there's some real structural issues. And quite frankly, cutting rates won't adjust those. It really is going to take an increase in liquidity via QE to potentially have a beneficial impact in the future. So is, is that just progress of developed markets in a global economy? You know, at, at, at what point does, you know, uh, quantitative easing just become an acceptable tool, right? It, it, it is. It's here and now. It, it is an acceptable tool. It's one, you know, clearly the Japanese have been using it for decades. Uh, it is the only tool that has really kept Europe's uh, credit markets together. Um, and now we have our Fed acknowledging that, you know, it's going to become a traditional tool here as well. And, you know, we've used it in the past. We used it post-World War II to deal with deficits and kind of fix the price of money. Uh, and that could easily be the case in the very near future. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're referencing a point, you know, nearly 100 years ago um, at this point. But, you know, it's, it's hard to think that, you know, continuous QE um, to prop up a market and, and allow markets to, to survive or thrive. Um, do you think that's a, is healthy for, for an overall economy? Um, it's, it's not the position you want to be in, but it's the position we are in. And so I would look at it as, while it may not be desirable, it's probably our least worst option. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, they have uh, really two mandates now. One, which was, you know, not only keep the economy uh, growing at a healthy pace uh, without excessive inflationary pressures, but because they bailed out markets and, and really tried to stimulate uh, risk asset prices, you know, they are responsible for the valuation bubble we're in, and they need to find a way to slowly let the air out of it over time. And my guess is QE will probably be one of those tools to allow that to happen. Good, good. Well, I always like hearing um, we're going to go with the least worst option, so that's good. <laughs> uh, so, all right, in your opinion, um, is the Fed behind the curve in adjusting policy uh, to the current economic environment? Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting. It, inherently, the Fed is behind the curve. That's just the nature of the beast. They're going to react to data. So it's always degrees. And I think what's a little bit different at this point in the cycle um, is there's really two different issues they need to deal with because they did implement QE and not just uh, interest rate cuts. You know, so the clearest sign the Fed's behind the curve is if you look at just the last 12 months rate of change and the Fed funds rate has moved up 50 basis points at the same time, the two-year yield has fallen 72 basis points and the 10-year has fallen 90 basis points. And so it's not just, 
you know, the U.S. yield curve screaming that, hey, you guys went too far too fast and you need to back away. We've also seen an inversion in the yield curve overseas in the euro dollar markets as well. So, you know, the capital markets are crystal clear. Uh, we need to cut rates and um, it, and, and at some point, these inversions start to impact credit creation and ultimately the economy in general. If you look at the economy specifically, there's nothing that says the Fed's behind the curve. And the only reason why I say that is it's a question as to whether this economic slowdown we're in, you know, it's been a classic slowdown. It started with housing early in 18. It's rolled into autos. Now we're finally starting to see it in some of the employment statistics. Um, you know, could the Fed cut rates? Would it be a little bit stimulative to the market? Maybe, or to the economy? It might be. Uh, but the simple truth is, you know, a modest rate cut isn't going to boost any of those consumer durable sectors meaningfully. Uh, it's really just to address some deteriorating liquidity conditions in credit markets. And, and that's probably the primary reason they should either A, cut rates, or more importantly, they really need to stop quantitative tightening. That's the bigger issue in credit markets. Right. So, um, you know, you, you mentioned some signs of slowdown in, in your last uh, response there. Um, you know, ADP numbers are down. Um, you mentioned uh, autos. So, you know, what are the odds of the slowdown that we're experiencing currently, you know, turning into a, an actual recession? Right. Uh, you know, it's, you know, when you look at what causes recessions, it's typically uh, tighter monetary policy. Um, and just because, you know, we've had a kind of a 10 year or, or longer expansion doesn't mean you have to have a recession. Recessions aren't caused by old age by any stretch of the imagination. And a long expansion doesn't have to result into a deep recession either. So, you know, the, the, when I look at what we're, the setup is currently, you know, this growth slowdown that, that really started um, in really late 2017, it was evident that it was going to begin to roll over, was really driven by the tightening dollar conditions and that tightening uh, dollar liquidity created a slowdown overseas. And then the rising federal deficits here began to crowd out the private sector as well as continue to tighten up dollar funding and dollar liquidity. So that hit housing and that's rolled over and it's starting to hit autos. Everything in the cards right now says, look, we're just on a continued glide path to lower rates of growth. We're not going to go negative yet. That's the economy. However, it's a very different picture for the market. If I look at the market, I do think we're going to start bringing down 2019 back half earnings estimates. We'll start to see that in the second quarter releases. Um, we'll probably continue that into the third quarter. And unless we see a significant reacceleration in economic conditions or stabilization across credit creation and, and, and yield curves, my guess is we're going to start bringing down 2020 estimates as well. Um, and unfortunately, you know, just because of our 10-year history and the amount of stimulus that has gone into risk assets, you know, we can have a negative wealth effect and that could tip us into recession. Uh, but right now we're just looking at a generic uh, slowdown. The real risk is, you know, if we do go into a recession, um, what levers do we really have to address that? Yeah. And, and um, you know, I think that ties into a lot of some of our, our other uh, the conversations we've had on prior podcasts, but you know, bringing down these earning estimates second half, bringing down the earnings estimates for 2020, right? What does that result in for, you know, uh, an, an equi uh, the equity markets, right? Specifically looking at uh, 
you know, maybe more muted returns than what we've experienced over the last uh, several years. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think two other things that you mentioned there, two, two sound bites I, I really like, right? Recessions aren't caused by old age and, and ex- you know, these long lasting expansions, they don't have to uh, end in recession, but, you know, they can really start to start to flame out. And mm-hmm. uh, I can imagine that's going to be frustrating for investors as they absolutely as they're invested on a uh, on a totality basis um, just to start seeing their their expected returns uh, pull in and those IRRs that they've been easily achieving start to become a bit more struggle. Uh, so let's uh, last question for you. You know, so on um, you know, given the, the current level of interest rates, you know, how, how effective um, are the Fed's traditional policy tools and, and should the economy enter recession? Um, or face greater deflationary powers and or pressures, rather. And, and you know, you've already mentioned one earlier with with the uh, um, comfort level around utilizing QE at this point. Mm-hmm. But you know, what, what else? What do they have, and, and, and how effective are they? Yeah, you know, the traditional policy tools of just stimulating consumer durable demand, or capex at corporate level via interest rate cuts, really isn't going to be effective. Um, you know, historically, we could look and say we need kind of 500 basis points of move in interest rates to really stimulate the economy. Given where the short end is right now, we don't even have 500 rates, and we really don't want to be put in a position where we have to go to negative interest rates. That won't be good for financial entities. It won't be good for pensions. Uh, it won't be good for savings rates. It, it'll just create some very perverse incentives, and I don't think we'll go there. Um, at the same time, it's not just because we are close to the lower bound that the traditional policy tool of cutting interest rates will be less effective. It's also because we sat so long at zero interest rates, there's just not a lot of incremental activity to stimulate by cutting rates. If we could normalize the shape of the yield curve so we could create a carry in that financial arbitrage, that would be helpful. Uh, but it's not clear that even if the Fed is able to cut rates, that we could get some steepness back in the curve because, quite frankly, I think a lot of the deflationary pressures are coming overseas and it's coming from China uh, and weakness elsewhere. At the same time, uh, that interest, the traditional interest rate cuts won't be as effective. QE won't be as effective either. Again, we've already done it. We've already forced people out into mul- multiple uh, sectors of, of higher risk. And we've stimulated that wealth effect. Um, so I really think when we look at the Fed's policy tools, they're going to be fairly ineffective at driving economic growth. I think what they're going to end up being used for is to prevent harm from federal deficits crowding out the private sector. I think there is a very real possibility that the Fed's going to have to step in because federal deficits are going to continue to crowd out uh, not just dollar liquidity uh, overseas, but crowd out the private sector here. And the Fed's going to have to step up and start monetizing those deficits at some point. And the irony is we're finally getting to the point where should we really have uh, an increase in deflationary pressures or face with a recession, I think we're at that point where the Fed is going to have to make a choice. They're either going to have to lose control of the price of money or they're going to have to lose control of the quantity of money. And I think what they'll choose is to fix the price and use their balance sheet to massively expand the money supply. And we'll see at that time whether that actually creates inflation or is just offsetting deflationary pressures. Well, good. This is this has been great. Again, you know, we really appreciate you coming in here, um, touching base on on some of these relevant, almost real time issues that we're facing uh, in today's marketplace. So, um, you know, look forward to having you again, and and, and uh, we'll get you on here again soon. Thanks, you Chris. Bet. Happy to do it, Dan. The views, information, 
and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.